Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wrap, brought to you by Michigan Medicine Headlines. I'm Dan Elman with the Department of Communication. And I'm Dan's co-host, Deanna Norris. We have an important and timely episode for you today, and we're joined by the head of Michigan Medicine Security, Brian Urich, who will discuss ongoing efforts to make the organization as safe as possible for everyone. Now, before we begin with Brian, be sure you go back and get caught up on any episodes of the employee podcast you may have missed. We've had recent shows covering eating disorders, the Adolescent Health Initiative, and more. You can find episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other podcast hosting platform. New shows can also be found on the Michigan Medicine YouTube channel and as part of the headlines Week in Review. With that, let's bring in Brian Urich, a veteran guest of The Wrap. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, and uh, thank you for having me, Deanna. Now, first, what message do you have for our team members who may be anxious, you know, about coming to work, following the recent tragedies in places like Tulsa, Uvalde, and Buffalo, and and I know even since then, there's been a few more. So I know that anxiety is pretty high right now. What message do you have for them? Well, first and foremost is, is, you know, I'm feeling the same level of anxiety, and I think we all are as a community, and that's natural. And even though when we look at the statistics and we know that active shooter events are extremely rare. In fact, as you said in your, in your last headlines update, they account for less than one half of 1% of all homicides in the United States. That does nothing to reduce people's anxiety. If we're not, we as DPSS are not out building those relationships to over communicate the steps we're taking to keep people safe. So Brian, your security team focuses on a three-pronged approach to safety, trust, training, and technology. Can you explain those three areas in greater detail? Yes, absolutely. And and I will apologize in advance that I'm very passionate about this because having been in law enforcement my whole career, I just know that that building trust and that community policing model is so important. So when we talk about trust, training, and technology first, we have to realize that every healthcare system is a community and every floor is a neighborhood. And just like outside law enforcement, you do not adequately keep a community safe by driving around in a car and arresting bad guys. You keep a community safe by making sure that you build the trust of your community, that you have an engaged community that is trained and that you have the best, most advanced technology to help keep staff safe. So let's break down each one of those. So when it comes to an active shooter or targeted violence type event that we see in the news, we know that the vast majority of the times that the person who commits those horrible acts has exhibited pre-incident indicators. Well, if we in security and we in law enforcement build relationships and build trust, so that our staff bring those behaviors forward to us, knowing that we will actively investigate and work with them to address those situations, we can help reduce those problems. In addition is training, and we've talked about that before on other podcasts. We at DPSS, and as a larger workplace violence prevention team here in the health system, are focused on how can we have an engaged and trained workforce uh, a good example of that is recently we just did a, a second training for some of our home healthcare staff where we created some scenario-based training for them to help keep them safe. 
So we have a whole different level of scenario-based training that we offer for our staff to help keep them safe. And then finally, technology is above and beyond cameras. What are additional technologies that we're looking at that we're using to keep people safe? Well, first and foremost are canines. Are, we obviously know we had Leo and that we have uh, another canine coming to replace Leo. Those types of unique technology, just like cameras with analytics or mobile panic alarms are all things that we are examining that we are doing pilots on to look at how can we keep our workforce safer. I want to real quick go back to the trust portion. And I know that you talk very passionately about building that trust between security officers or law enforcement officials and those who work here at Michigan Medicine. It's maybe you can dive a little deeper into this, that it's so much more than just responding to a call when there's trouble, right? It's making sure that they are, you know, that your security officers are actually part of the unit and that those, you know, nurses and other clinicians on staff feel comfortable with them at all times, not just when there's an issue going on. Is that right? Dan, th first of all, thanks for asking that question because it really drives home something that I think is so important. Um, we have to do what I, what I like to refer to as non-traditional security outreach, meaning we've got to go up on the floor when before there's a problem and engage staff in just relationship-based conversations about the weather, about what they're doing this summer, and how can we develop that relationship to keep you safe? So I'll often have people say, well, why, that, why is that important? Well, when we look at the research that the FBI has done on active shooters, we know that 54% of active shooters will start with a domestic violence nexus. Well, if we know that there's that domestic violence nexus and that our staff could be suffering, which by the way, we deal with that on a regular basis here at DPSS, if they know that they can trust us to bring those issues forward and proactively use our DPSS special victims unit to come out and help those staff members, we can hopefully reduce those events from occurring. Yeah. Now, what sort of trainings are available for employees, not just members of the security staff, and how can people reach out to participate in those training sessions? So we have a, thanks to, obviously, thanks to you and Deanna, uh, in the headlines, we just put out a, a, a link to um, a website where you can go and sign up for those trainings. And just a couple of really good examples. We obviously have See Something, Say Something, which is basically a situational awareness training where we teach staff what to look for. We have another training called Situational Awareness and Personal Safety that think of it as a higher level one hour training where we do a deeper dive into how to identify problems before they occur, how to look for things that simply don't belong in your environment. We have uh, our SAVE trainings, which are situational awareness for violent events. And that is just an unbelievable uh, active shooter training program that focuses not just on run, hide, fight, because we have to move past that. If we know through research that uh, the potential suspects will exhibit pre-incident indicators, we've got to train our staff to look at, okay, if these are the pre-incident indicators, what do I need to do when I see them? And is it a law enforcement response? Yes. However, it's just as much of a human resources response. And that's where we have to partner to make sure we can prevent these things through training. 
So, um, Brian, as you know, Dan and I had the opportunity to attend one of the REACT trainings last fall, and it just provided such great information. The tips for situational awareness that you're talking about, really valuable information for everyone. Um, what are some other things that faculty and staff should keep in mind about safety and security? First and foremost, above all, and, and I get this, and, and it was in our biweekly update recently, is Karen Morgenstern, one of uh, obviously our attorneys here at Michigan Medicine, she drove by and she saw a backpack on a sign that almost looked to be propped. It looked out of the ordinary. It was something that was an anomaly for that environment. So what did she do? She simply called us and said, you know what, this looks suspicious. So we had law enforcement go out and, and check it. And obviously it turned out to be, it turned out to be nothing. So the biggest thing I can, I can say here is we need you to call us, even when you think something is not an emergency, please feel free to call us. And, and the other thing I want to stress here is if you feel something is an emergency, but you're not a hundred percent sure, feel free to call 911. Call 911. We don't, we don't worry about it. We are here to serve. And we'd rather have you call us, report something suspicious, report a possible escalation on whatever number that you need to, so that we can we can proactively go up and, and hopefully stop a situation before it escalates. So now looking ahead to the future, are there any new initiatives or changes coming down the line uh, for your security team that you're excited about? Well, there is. Uh, obviously, probably the biggest one we're looking at is, is that was the biggest hit when, um, and you Indiana covered it, obviously, was our canine that we had for, for UH. And uh, we know that that canine handler went and became a, a police officer for the University of Michigan, which great for him. Well, he took Leo with him because Leo was his pet. And so now we have another canine that's coming on board. Not yet. Uh, that canine has not yet been chosen, but we are simply the only thing we're waiting for is the canine to be FedExed over here and, and uh, we'll go through the selection process. But we just had, that's probably the biggest thing. And so it is, we picked the, the handler and we are ready to go just uh, like everything else. Supply, supply issues are, uh, we're just waiting for the canine to get here. All right, that is really exciting that we have a new canine coming and, and we'll be excited to share that when they get here. <laughs> um, and so thanks so much for sharing this information with us, Brian. I know a lot of people are feeling anxious in recent weeks and we hope this conversation will reassure them that the organization makes safety and security its highest priority. Now, if you wanna learn even more about how faculty, staff, learners, patients, and visitors are being kept safe at Michigan Medicine, go to mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. While you're there, you can find other featured stories from this week. For instance, there was an inside look at a team taking stuttering care on the road. The trauma burn unit shared how they help patients with serious injuries, and readers learned about timeouts and why they are so important in healthcare. Find all that and more at mmheadlines.org. Okay, Dan, it's time for the weekly trivia contest. Last episode, we asked listeners how many students earned their MDs as part of the U of M Medical School class of 2022. The answer was 162. Congratulations to loyal listener Brian Wu, who sent in the correct answer. And now for this week's question, here's Dan. All right, this week's question is, Michigan Medicine's Trauma Burn Unit was recently re-verified as a level one trauma center by which organization? Once again, Michigan Medicine's Trauma Burn Unit was recently re-verified as a level one trauma center by which organization? 
Deanna, you wrote the story, so you're not eligible to send in the answer, but those who are eligible, they can send the answer to headlines at med.umich.edu for the chance to win a prize. And that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you, Brian, for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners and viewers for everything you do for patients, families, and each other. We'll see you next week.